0: Good morning. This is Talking Animals on WMNF. I'm Duncan Strauss. My guest today is Stephen M. Wise, president of the Non-Human Rights Project, an attorney, author, legal scholar, and professor who's taught at Harvard Law School and among elsewhere. Wise is leading the Non-Human Rights Project, pioneering effort to free an elephant named Happy from the Bronx Zoo through a writ of habeas corpus. More specifically, Wise and his colleagues contend that Happy, who has been living alone at the Bronx Zoo for more than 15 years, should be able to secure her right to bodily liberty and relocate to an elephant sanctuary. The New York Court of Appeals, the highest court in that state, has agreed to hear the case in 2022, sometime this year. A date has not yet been set, but when it does happen, it will represent a historic first, the first time the highest court of any English-speaking jurisdiction will hear a habeas corpus case brought on behalf of someone other than a human being. The Atlantic calls this, quote, the most important animal rights case of the 21st century, end quote. This dovetails tightly with the Non-Human Rights Project's mission to change the common law status of great apes, elephants, dolphins, and whales from things which lack legal rights to legal persons. Much more on this case and its implications when I speak with Stephen M. Wise in a few moments here on Talking Animals on WMNF. Later in today's program, we'll hear a new animal song from Jenny Lewis called Puppy in a Truck and probably a couple of animal news items and little updates about other ways you can pay tribute to the late Betty White. That's all happening a bit later in today's show. Right now, though, let's discuss the Non-Human Rights Project bid for this groundbreaking outcome and more with Steve Wise. With a reminder that I invite you to join the conversation by calling 813-239-9663, emailing dj at wmnf.org, or texting 813-433-0885. This is Stephen M. Wise back on Talking Animals on WF good morning Stephen
1: good
0: morning How are you I'm really well thanks for joining us again on talking animals I appreciate it sure so we spoke on the show the better part of nine years ago at that point you and your colleagues and a battalion of volunteers had spent countless hours analyzing court cases seeking one that fit the organization's criteria for the then first case the non-human rights project would get directly involved with maybe we could travel back in time a bit uh, as a means of actually kind of getting up to date what were you looking for, and what was the criteria that constituted a promising test case for the Non-Human Rights Project?
1: Well, the problem was that, let's uh, uh, see, nine years ago, that, uh, that would have been, well, who knows, about 2012. So that means uh, I had been working on this for 32 years. Yeah. So uh, it, it, it meant, uh, after I spent five years uh, Trying to understand how I might be able to protect non-human animals, uh, I realized that uh, things that I uh, thought about were actually not correct, and and the real problem was uh, how do you make non animals at I least mean, some of them, uh, legal persons who have a capacity for rights rather than than, than the things they are. Uh, that's uh, when you are when you are a thing. It means you don't have any capacity for any sorts of rights at all, and uh, essentially you're a slave. Uh, if you are. Uh, If you are a person, that means you have capacity for rights. You you could conceivably not have any rights at all, but you have the capacity for them. And so in our case, we're um, always asked for a single right right now. It's the right to bodily liberty. And so we had to make very many decisions over the years to try to figure out, um, who is going to be our client, how kind of cross will we have, uh, what jurisdiction, what state or country should we file in, and many other things like that, really kind of very fundamental in that we have a problem. All non-human animals are things who lack capacity for rights. As a result, they are terribly brutalized everywhere. So how do we begin the process of trying to stop that for at least some non-human animals?
0: And I think along those lines, I think when we did speak before, the animals you were then focusing on were chimpanzees. At that time, at least, what made chimps uh, ideal contenders for you to uh, build your
1: your? Well, art? we we've actually always focused on uh, chimpanzees, or or uh, uh, and which could be any of two kinds of chimpanzees, and. Uh, uh, but we are also also have always been interested in elephants and also in orchids. And yeah. we spent a lot of time trying to figure out uh, what species did we want to begin with. We finally decided on chimpanzees, although the day before we made that decision, we had decided on elephants. And uh, overnight, when we were, we were having a meeting, we decided that we would start with uh, chimpanzees. And I think one of the reasons is, is the facts in the case are so important. We want to be able to show how cognitively complex how very cognitively complex uh, our clients you know mind or brain is, and we realized that the number of, uh, of cases that had come down uh, i'm sorry not the number of cases the the number of of, uh, of scientific articles that have come by are, are hundreds and hundreds and hundreds involving chimpanzees there are hundreds involving elephants too, but I think we concluded that there's probably more of these kinds of of um, scientific investigations that have taken place with chimpanzees, even more than elephants. Mm-hmm. So we, we decided to start with, with that species. Yeah.
0: Although, I might be fuzzy on this, but even back sure. then, wasn't Happy kind of some uh, an animal that you did have in mind, uh, again, with all the incredible research that you and your colleagues and others had done, wasn't Happy kind of at least
1: uh, sort of waiting in the wings, as it were? Yes. We had been thinking about happy things. We figured out that it was rather a dangerous thing in New York to be a chimpanzee. And so instead of trying to find a single chimpanzee, we decided to try to find every chimpanzee we could find and bring not just one lawsuit, but to bring one for each one. And we ended up doing that. And how many suits did that end up uh, being then? We filed um, three suits on behalf of four chimpanzees. So wow. one of them was just being kept in a, in a kind of a big warehouse all by, all by itself. Yeah. Uh, by the way, if you know if you know about chimpanzees, you know same thing for elephants too. Same thing with uh, orcas too. This is a kind of a way of inflicting a serious hell on on a being like that who is essentially lonely for a decade. Yeah. And if people who don't believe that, I ask them, why don't they imagine that uh, you're put into a room somewhere that's maybe a little bit bigger than you, and that's all you have for, for your your entire life? And let's see people who are holding you prisoner decide to come in and play with you or something like that other than that you leave and you're in your cage and uh, that's not a good thing
0: yeah cruel and unusual punishment i guess
1: is uh least um i'm that cruel and unusual punishment is much more of a of a criminal way of dealing
0: with Right, uh, no, I just I guess I was just uh, equating it to you know, people have to be, and, and, and sometimes are and sometimes are not, careful about solitary confinement when it comes to humans. Right. So I was just trying to draw a parallel there about what you've seen that you were just sketching there with uh, a chimp or an elephant or an orca just being left alone in right. a, a room about their their own size.
1: So Well, it took, it, it took some time for me to really fully understand what kind of minds chimpanzees had. Same thing for elephants too, and so one of the reasons it can take us some years is that uh, we, try, we make an independent evaluation trying to understand who are the most respected and best um, experts in the area of the uh, species that we're, we're using to try to free them. Uh, and uh, uh, that, that's what we do. And we found that uh, it, oh my goodness, it must have taken it must have taken a couple of years for me to track down everybody and then really really have them be able to file the kind of affidavit that we could use. Same things happening in elephants. Same thing in, or- in orcas. Uh, first of all, we think, begin to look all over the world and, and ask and contact them and explain what we want to do. When we ask, "Do you think it's appropriate?" And would you at least um, tell us whether you would be on our side or not? And they're all—they've always said yes so far. They're always on our side.
0: Which I guess says quite a bit by itself that if they're the top experts on chimps or elephant orcas or whatever it might be, and they're saying, "Yeah, I, I agree with what you're saying," and with, without exception, it, it sounds like you're saying. Uh,
1: yes, sir, in in the, uh, the uh, two thousand and three, in the eight years that we have been litigating this, we we have brought in all of the experts, and I think we filed nine lawsuits, and there has not been a single single expert who was brought against this, not even with the Bronx Sioux. And you would figure that if they had an elephant expert who was going to say that we're wrong. They would have had an elephant expert file an affidavit and say that. They never did. No one. That's because we're right. Our experts are right. They don't have any experts who agree with them. And that's why um, the judge actually uh, found for us that, uh, that our elephant, Happy, was this uh, extraordinary cognitively complex being. And, uh, in fact, is it, I think she said uh, whose um, cognitive abilities are akin to that of a human being. And she's the one who used the word akin Wow. So, it's just uh, true. it's just true. Yeah. We understand. We cool. spent, there, by the way, there was something very interesting about that. Um, uh, as people might know, we're now arguing a case up in the Court of Appeals. And, but the the, the question was that was the fourth time in which he, we had thought to have our client, um, be heard by the Court of Appeals. And, uh, our client so, meaning happy. Our, yes. Yeah, yeah. and But we, we had tried it with chimpanzees three other times. It had, it, it, it had been turned down every single time.
0: Yeah, and It wasn't
1: until this fourth time that we were able to, um, to finally have at least enough people on, on, on the court to agree that they want to hear our case.
0: And what do you think made the difference, Steve? Uh, I mean, was it just refining and refining and refining the argument that you were framing, or was it also on the other end that that the people hearing this were becoming more aware or apparently at least more convinced of what you had been saying kind of all along?
1: It's really hard to know. Yeah. This happened uh, to us four times. Uh, The first two times involved chimpanzees, and they were both, I believe, in 2015. And at that time, that day... uh, you need at least two people, at least two judges out of the seven, have to want have, have uh, them hear a case. So the first time, uh, it apparently we were we were probably unanimously uh, said no. They they just and by the way that is that happens all the time in the court of appeals of New York. It uh, takes about three percent each year of of the of the, of the uh, cases that wants in the hearing, and so. When it happened to us, we didn't take that personally. We understood we could have the best case in the world, but they they might not take it because there might be ninety seven percent of the kind of other people are more important for some reason. Yeah. Uh, so, um, but then that then the third time was in two thousand eighteen, where uh, Judge Eugene Fahey, uh actually broke away from the other seven and basically said he had changed his mind and now that and and he really supported a, uh, most of our arguments. Said that. A chimpanzee was was not a thing, and you're in law. You're either a thing or you're a person. He said you might be able to figure out some way why why they are should not be a person, but they're certainly not a thing. And that was mm-hmm. really powerful. And we took a look at some of what what uh, Judge Faye he was saying. We thought he had made some very good arguments as well. And so we then began looking for another non human animal. There weren't any more. There were not any more chimpanzees. But we had been thinking about Happy for many, many years, and we yeah. brought the case uh, for her. And then when we were trying to get back into the Court of Appeals, this was the first time that we that where we did it. So on May 4th of 2021, they said uh, they would take our case. That means we made one of the 3% for that year, and uh, that meant there were at least two judges who said they wanted to hear it.
0: And am I right in thinking that the actual date has not yet been set, just that that will happen in 2022? The, it, the date
1: has not been set. Uh, I think it is going to happen in 2022. If, if not, it could be early in 2023. It's really hard to know. Yeah, uh, we look at we look at some of the uh, cases, for example, that the court was um, hearing argument in in uh, November of 2021, and we saw some of them uh, had been taken up even in the end of 2019. So they could be a year or more behind. So we just don't know. Yeah. Um, however, interestingly enough, um, there's been a whole lot of people who have been. Uh, uh, who have shown that they are interested in our case, and people on our side and people on the Bronx Zoo side. And it's really fascinating. Um, we've had, um, there have been nine amicus priests who have been filed on, you know, four happy. Uh, and I think it's a total of 70 or 72 people have signed on. Uh, and, you know, they're, they're philosophers, they're lawyers, they're experts in habeas corpus, um, they're religious people, Buddhists. Uh, um, uh, Catholics. Uh, there's a lot of different sorts of people who are saying why Happy should win. The other side has had, I think, that they've had like 15 or 18 uh, organizations, or all corporations, who have who have filed in on with four amicus briefs. They're all people who are worried that they're going to make they aren't going to make money.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: somehow, because a single elephant might be um, removed from the Bronx Zoo and sent to a um, sanctuary, that means that, uh, well, my favorite one is that they say that the dairy industry of New York will be absolutely smashed and there'll be no way that anyone can drink milk in New York. Wow. That's a pretty big leap. Uh, uh, let me say that I think they may be exaggerating for some reason. Yeah. and The reason is they're simply trying to frighten the uh, the judges and make them seem that, that if they do something, if they do number one, what's probably would be number 25 would come right after one. Yeah. Who knows? All we're asking for is a is a formerly you know wild elephant who was kidnapped as a child, uh, who is, has has stayed in a in one acre or less than one acre of land, which is kind of akin to putting me in my bathroom and yeah. keeping me there for my whole life, and uh, it's it, it's time that that changes. Yeah.
0: Let me let folks know this is Talking Animals. I'm Duncan Strauss. If you just tuned in, my guest is Stephen M. Weiss, president of the Non-Human Rights Project. An attorney and legal scholar, Weiss is leading the organization's pioneering effort to free an elephant named Happy from the Bronx Zoo to rid of habeas corpus, a lawsuit the Atlantic calls the most important animal rights case of the 21st century. If you'd like to ask Steve a question or offer a comment, please call 813-239-9663, email DJ at WMNF.org or text 813-239-9663. Three four three three zero eight eight five. So I've thought this before, not only yeah. last time we talked, and then kind of following the case, and then preparing to talk to you again. That one thing that I mean, there's so many elements that stand out about this, but one thing is the uh, unending patience that this has required. Uh, you mentioned earlier you've been working on this in some fashion rather for 30 something years and even just saying when when you'll the, the the case will be heard might be 2022 might be 2023 so even when even when there's significant progress or a breakthrough it just seems like you just got to hang tight and that's a lot of what's been happening for decades
1: oh yes and and what it, it took us um I, I began in 1985 uh the, the idea actually began the Non-human rights project in 1995, and it was 2013 before we filed our first lawsuit. You know, 28, 28 years later. Yeah. And um, one reason, uh, you know, we we are we are all very optimistic. We, the question is, are are, are we going to win? We are going to win. The question is, wish to win? We have no idea. But you know, behind me in my office, I have 150 books on human slavery beginning with uh, Greece and Rome and moving all the way up to the end most of them been being in the last 300 years and focus in the USD. Um, this is this is a big deal
0: yeah
1: and it took a long long time. I have all kinds of cases that have been involving uh, blacks uh, in the 18th century in the 19th century in England in the US and I have a pretty good understanding as to what the problems were that that uh, that they met. And there's a very big difference. Uh, you know, uh, slave, human slaves stopped being slaves in England through a lawsuit in the United States. It, in, the, in the U.S., it took a civil war. So I'm I'm counting that we can get it done uh, in the first, yeah. the first way. All, all we need to do is. And, but but it, it'll be more than one case. It'll be more than one state. Um, this is a, this is something that that most judges have never thought of, have never heard of. Uh, in fact, we can see how people are, uh, on, the, on the bench are beginning to, sometimes, to actually beginning to, to, to understand what we were doing. And so, but, but the first cases we did, um, we would be heard for 20 minutes, for 30 minutes, maybe 45 minutes, but that would be the maximum. The difference between those and Happy's case was that um, the judge uh, gave us 13 hours to argue. So the parties had 13 hours. Probably I was probably eleven of them, and the Bronx too. Probably was was about two, and that allowed me to very carefully explain why we're entitled to to victory. And so this judge said, "Look, I'm a Supreme Court judge, which in in, in New York is at the bottom." But she said she was she said she was bound by what was clearly a wrong case that had been had been somewhere in New York. But that judge was over her. But but she said. Um, she regretted doing that, and that um, our client um, really was the kind of entity who ought to have a right to bodily liberty. Uh, she just couldn't do it. But yeah. but when we had we had thirteen hours in which to persuade her, very carefully explain to her why this change should be made, because after all, non-human animals have never ha- have always been things, not persons, and we're saying we want you to be the first one. And, but but there's a good reason. For example. What they knew about science, uh, the, uh, about the science of elephants in, in, you know, for hundreds of years, nobody had any idea at all. Or they, they were somehow their own imaginations of what, say, an elephant is or a chimpanzee is. But now, there are hundreds and hundreds of, of, uh, of articles that have been written by terrific scientists. And when you start reading it and begin understanding what extraordinary cognitively complex th- these beings are and how they feel, how they're social and that's why she says we're so much akin that elephants are so much akin to human beings and imagine how you would feel if, if the same thing happened to you as happened to an elephant and they would be very similar one would be akin to to the other yeah
0: So it sounds like uh, other things as well, so I don't want to oversimplify. But one of the things that seems like it's really happened is over the years is that the landscape has shifted. So there's all these experts and scientists and articles and all these things kind of documenting some of the things that help you make your case. And you, meanwhile, related to that and otherwise have kind of refined and refined and refined the, the, the case and the arguments that you made. And meanwhile, related to one or both of those things, some of the judges that have to make a decision um uh, themselves are moving a little bit in one direction or another uh, Fahey, for example or others that maybe X amount of years ago wouldn't have arrived at the same conclusion but because of all those things cumulatively they're they're more yeah. open to things because it seemed like quite early on there was a certain uh, kind of dismissive response to some of this or even kind of eye rolling like w- what are these people talking yeah. about and uh yeah. and look look how far it's come
1: yes um, we we have noticed that Um we never had a judge agree with us um, from 2014, 2015. For the first two years, nobody agreed with us. Yeah. Uh, no one agreed with us uh, for, until Judge Fahey came along, and, and that was now in 2018. Uh, but, uh, but actually, in the, the first time that a judge did agree with us was a judge um, in the um, Supreme Court, which is the lowest court in Manhattan involving a chimpanzee. So that was probably the first time, yeah, 2015, and then it was 2018, and then with Happy's case now, uh, or actually right before that, you have um, you have uh, after Judge Fahey, you now have Happy, and and and, and luckily for us, the judge uh, uh, you know issued the writ of habeas corpus, so that allowed us to go in front and argue for 13 hours. Because when they don't issue your writ of habeas corpus and let you argue, what happens is you just get a—you you, you go to a court, which is—this was actually the majority for what, what happened to us. You go to a court, you hand it in, and then uh, a judge sees it in his, his or her chambers and comes back and says no. And that's, that is the end of the case. Yeah. The other side didn't even know they had been sued. So we can actually lose a case in 10 minutes. We probably have. Maybe we lost them in 30 minutes. But we have lost them. Then we, we're already going to begin our appellate um, work. And it's something— we would like to have won at the lower courts but that wasn't important to us yeah the most important to us was being able to argue in front of the High Court of the state and it's taken us eight years finally to for a, a high court to to agree in that's the Court of Appeals yeah. uh, interestingly enough we have another lawsuit um, it's January it should be sometime either at the sometime in January at the beginning of February we're going to file our first California case okay. oh yeah maybe a oh yes and then after that comes Colorado. Uh, then, uh, then comes uh, Israel. Then comes uh, um, India, uh, and we were we're also working with Harvard Law School in a case in Ecuador, uh, and then possibly, and then we're also beginning to work in Argentina. So, wow, uh, there's a there's a lot going on.
0: Yeah. Well, I was going to ask at some point later how what the plans might be for widening this out because I figured, well, as strategic oh, as you guys are. That this had to be aiming for an international effort uh, soon, if not uh, right away. So that, that that all makes sense, and it sounds like you've got you know exactly
1: laid out how that's going to proceed. Um, well, you know, so, sometimes if you look at the history of uh, of which countries held which slaves, and why why did some of them say you can't, why did some of them say they can? It's it's, it's a very similar thing. Just because it happens in one state, to have something happen in two states or five states or 10 states or all states or all the countries is what I mean. Um, you know, it can take a long, long time. Yeah. But you need so, to start somewhere. But by the way, you may not know that in India, non-human animals are, 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 uh, are persons who do that. Right.
0: Right. So, yeah. So you're kind of almost meeting back up over there when you take whatever that case will be that when you get to the, the India part of the, Yes, Yeah. 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 So a uh, cu- couple of quick things. Um, See one. Is, one is that uh, one of our emailers said, "Wasn't there a documentary slash movie that touched on habeas corpus?" And I assume she's probably referring to "Unlocking the Cage," which I don't know if you want to say a quick thing or two about that. And then, um,
1: indeed, uh, "Unlocking the Cage." Um, uh, that was done by, I think it took. I think it took three, three or four years, and uh, for them to film it, they were they were just e- extraordinary. Uh, Chris and and, uh, and uh, Penny, Penny Baker were, like, extraordinary. Chris Hedges and Penny Baker, they were yeah good. Um, Chris was tremendously wonderful. And it uh, uh, tells us that that time, it's really interesting, if, if you know, even for me to watch it, because that was almost all done at the time before we ever brought our first case in. Yeah, And so, uh, you know, Chris and, and Penny, had their, they had no idea whether they're doing a film about somebody who cha- would change their mind and wouldn't get into this, or, or we would or whether a judge would ever hear us or whether they could get a camera into a courtroom and so we had no idea but thank you thank you Chris uh, they they believe what we are saying that and and as, as what we thought would happen did happen uh, in fact things actually went better for us than we thought we thought uh, since you didn't even have to uh, allow someone to come in and, and argue we thought that that it might not happen and uh, we we might never able to able to argue in, in a trial court and they might, they might all immediately say goodbye we we you're you're wrong, but it turns out now um, most of them will, or perhaps all of them will now hear us. Yeah, and, uh, we're going to have to see how things are, are uh, happen after ha- uh, Patty's decision by the Court of Appeals. But all we can do is get our fingers crossed and understand that uh, hey, th- this this is the first time, whether we win or lose, this is the first time that any English speaking court in the world has ever taken a case. Where they had to answer the question, is a non-human animal not a thing, but it's a
0: person. Right. Well, I was just going to say quickly, uh, we had uh, Chris uh, Hedges on on the show t- when when the movie was out, and uh, yeah, I mean, they, they took, as many people have over the years, in one way or another, a tremendous leap with you, as you just kind of noted about making the film when it wasn't clear, kind of what that there was a huge thing to hang their hat on, really, but they obviously just believed where this was going and where you were leading this thing and, and totally supported it. And, it, and it's a wonderful film that, I'm thinking you can see a couple different places even now. So it's called Unlocking the Cage. Also, one of our uh, other emailers said a great interview in the subject line i don 't believe they're referring to me I think they're strictly referring to you uh, Steve but, uh, but, it, but, it, but in the body of it it just says this man is creating seismic change in the world. Thank you, so I want to be sure you knew that and then when you're talking about how unusual it is that the New York Court of Appeals agreed to hear the case so for the the non lawyers amongst us um, you know you 've kind of said like what a small percentage it would be for, for, for them to even agree to do that but I guess what I'd be also interested in is having you say what does anything looking like a landing in the victory column look like once they do hear it? Maybe 2022, as we established, we may have to wait till 2023. But when they do hear it, what's the outcome that uh, you're looking for
1: if it really goes well? Well, if things can go well, things can go spectacularly well. Yeah, uh, I, it, I, I think the real the real issue is is that um, elephants, you know, happy, you know, uh, her her species. And she and all non-human animals have have always been things, and the time for that has now come to change. Uh, that needs to change. Um, what you need to do, and w- which is what he said, is you have to look at a um, species. You have to find out what what is a species like, uh, and the the characteristics of a uh, uh, of what you find. Uh, how how is that going to match up? Uh, person and not a thing and does a species fit in fit into that you know what kind of being are they and that's what that's why and that's why we uh bring in experts all the time and unfortunately the other side doesn't have experts but that's that's what we do
0: yeah so if it goes somewhere between well and spectacularly well one of the things is i guess they will decide that happy's status is shifting from a thing to legal person
1: there's a reason why i can't predict
0: Right. No, no, I, I think that would be... A... It's
1: really hard. Right. And, um, you know, whatever happens, we'll, we'll, we'll have actually, before we argue that case, we will have been in California, in Colorado, uh, in India, in, in uh, Israel, uh, in Ecuador. Um, so we have a lot of things that are going to happen before we even argue that case. And uh, some of them might actually um, influence the way the happy case is, is decided. For example, say we went to California and courts there were saying, uh, uh, you win. Well, we would, of course, bring that, that to the attention of the court of appeals and show them why they won and hope that it wasn't just because there was something special in California, but it's kind of a general idea that, that, the, that New York could pick up as well. Yeah,
0: well, that brings me. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. Yeah. Oh no. Go on. Please. No, because that that brings me to a question I had, uh, not even knowing about all these other cases that were going to be pending elsewhere, other states or other countries. But but let's say that you have some measure of success when you do argue in New York Court of Appeals, or like you say, it's possible that California might move sooner. So, but let's just say there's something significant in the way of successful outcome, whatever that might be. To what extent can the non-human rights project extrapolate from there? For example, I mean, at some point, I'm wondering if you aren't destined to slam into your own criteria in a sense, like if there is a successful outcome with Happy or whoever is at the center of the California case, let's say, you've kind of made it clear that there's certain kind of animals with certain kind of cognitive abilities that are the ones that you can build these cases around. So... Even if it goes really well, you know, maybe the next one's a captive orca. Maybe it's Lolita in Miami. Maybe it's someone else somewhere else. Obviously, you have things picked out various other places. But if it still involves certain sophisticated cognitive abilities and emotional behaviors, doesn't this necessarily kind of preclude helping a given, let's say, chicken who's on a path to the slaughterhouse in the factory farming realm or, or any number of other animals that aren't orcas, elephants, chimps, etc.? Well,
1: you know, we, we don't argue. We don't argue that uh, that you must have that kind of cog- cognitive ability. We're saying that that uh, if you have very high ones, especially ones that are akin to human beings, then there should be no problem. Uh, so first, first we have to win that. Yeah. And then, um, and then you know what um, what they were, what they were saying was was that what Judge he was was saying. You have to look at really what what each species is about. Yeah. And then you have to make. Have to make a call based on 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 what the cognitive abilities are of of any species. And um, I learned a long time ago: don't ever make a guess because it's truly it's really hard. That's why we and we don't want judges to have to make guesses either. We want them. We want to have the, the facts that will make them rule in our favor. So clear now, cut, right? Yeah. It it I mean, there's a lot of species in this world. Sure. And uh, and it, you really really take it one by one. Uh, I assume eventually there would. Uh, there would be lines that were that were drawn against against some species. I don't know what the species are. Most of them could be. None of them could be. I just had. We don't have any idea because we can't even begin to think about it until we spend years talking to experts. Sure. And no, it's just that.
0: Yeah, it just seemed like initially there was a very strategic thought of saying, "Okay, let's let's talk about chimps. Let's talk about orcas. Let's talk about elephants for these reasons." So that even if you advance in one or more of these cases, uh, it seems like there's a certain point at which then what happens to the animals that don't, as far as we know and as far as the experts have said, don't have that kind of cognitive sophistication or or kind of emotional uh, dimension, uh, then what?
1: I can tell you uh, two interesting things. One of them is, uh, in fact, hardly anybody knows about it. It, it, We didn't know about it for months. Uh, In June of 2021, uh, Justice Hutton on the Court of Appeals of Maryland, she... Dissented and uh, when and 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 argued that a dog should have rights, and so after Judge Fahey, she became the second one. But she uh, the the idea of cognition was not her issue. Uh, it was re- her issue was really the fact that a dog is actually part of a family. It's almost like it's almost like a child, and hmm. uh, because of the relationship, the very very close relationship between dogs and. Um, and human beings that when that happens then uh, you should uh, then treat the non-human animal as a as, as, as a person for that purpose and not a thing uh, so that that's a completely different argument that that we're making we have no idea whether it can ever win uh, and but we thought about doing that and decided that uh, uh, that the better kind of argument to make was the one we're making now yeah is, uh, with, with so, this corpus so was oh, the- oh, one other Okay, sorry. Go ahead. We're also we are all out also going to be bringing our first lawsuit on behalf of someone uh, who's not what I'm describing, but is a horse. And but we're not. Yeah. And some of the things we're we're gathering already are affidavits from uh, horse experts. Uh, but it's the main reason is that. Um, um, sergeant Reckless was the only horse ever to actually become a member of the U.S. Armed Forces. So she was a staff sergeant um, in the um, First Division of the U.S. Marines during the Korean War, and got you know was made a staff sergeant. Got two Purple Hearts, got a whole list of of um, of, uh, of things like that, and it was. And, and then when when she died, though, she wasn't died in a place where we think. And she, I'm sorry, she didn't. She wasn't buried in a national cemetery, and we think that she should. So we are, have been working now for three years on the case that we're going to bring, representing Sergeant Reckless and arguing how wonderful Sergeant Reckless was and why um, she should have the right to be buried in a national cemetery.
0: Wow. So it really is widening out in short order, which made me want to ask about the um, decision Judge Hutton made. Was that a yes. case that the Non-Human Rights Project was arguing or involved with, or that just kind of happened almost incidentally to your other efforts?
1: We had we'd never heard of it.
0: Yeah. Okay.
1: About two months ago. So we we were astonished, astonished to see that a case that we would have found very interesting had been decided four months ago and we didn't even know about it. Yeah, um, it, it was. It, and we weren't expecting that kind of a case to win. Of course, it didn't. And a lot of people might not think our kind of case is going to win. But we think that 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 our kind of case is, is, is probably a stronger one yeah um, and and also you know there's other things for so for example there's there's um you know, like two thousand chimpanzees maybe here or like 400 elephants in the u.s that's one thing if there's you know 60 million dogs that's something else and so uh, even with our two 500 or our two thousand uh the people on the other side try to frighten judges into thinking that we're going to to uh to cause some major issues even though there's only three say three or five hundred elephants in the world somehow not in the world, but in, in, in the U.S., somehow ruling on behalf of our one elephant is going to do terrible things. Yeah. But you, you don't have to make that kind of a silly argument when you're dealing with a dog because, because a, uh, a court would know that there's probably 50 million dogs who are at issue here who are going to be uh, afflicted, not afflicted, affected is what I meant to say, yeah. affected by, by, by what the ruling would be. But uh, it, it's really interesting that there, at least what we're doing, uh, is really now two things, and that's, that's the third thing. So it looks like there are three, three reasonable ways of trying to make arguments, and we still think the most powerful one is the fact that uh, once you hear all of our experts, you know that the cognition of an elephant is akin to human beings. Mm-hmm. That's, yeah. So you then have to start asking, at least some, some uh, uh, humans have to, why should a human being have rights? Why should all human beings be persons? That's not an easy question to answer. Mm. And we did it for a long time, for a long time. You know, in the 13th century, Jews were not uh, persons and had had no rights in England. There were times when women didn't have rights, or blacks didn't have rights, right. children didn't have indigenous people didn't have rights. Uh, we have another case that, that we talk about from, I think, 1878, where you had a... Uh, a an Indian chief who uh, who wanted to come back to his reservation, and he was arrested, and uh, and he filed a writ of habeas corpus, and the and the U.S. government argued that a, a a Native American could not have a writ of habeas corpus; they they couldn't be persons, and the judge t- found that they were. But that's another time where you had that fight, specifically the indigenous people that they, that they won their own. Thank goodness.
0: Yeah. Wow.
1: So. One of the things since I have all of these um, books on the history of human slavery, and I wrote a book uh, about the Stewart case in in England in 1772, which is a case that we actually rely upon ourselves.
0: Wow. All right. This is Talking Animals of Duncan Trust. My guest is Stephen M. Weiss, founder and president of the Non-Human Rights Project. He's leading the organization's groundbreaking effort to free an elephant named Happy from the Bronx Zoo the root of habeas corpus and redefine Happy's status, really. And we invite you to join the conversation. We're in the last few minutes of this conversation, but happy to have you involved at 813-239-9663, emailing DJ at WMNF.org or texting 813-433-0885. So back to Happy in uh, yeah. the case. It seems like it's generated some complex reactions. I mean, you talked about all the amicus briefs and, and sort of, you know, some of the corporate uh, responses. But even beyond that, even even amidst uh, kind of the specialized contingent of elephant advocates, um, it seems like there are people who, of course, think an elephant should not live alone, given, again, how complex they are and social and uh, as we've talked about before that that's that's kind of its own sort of form of punishment but it's also i guess for some it seems like it's hard to quantify the the cost benefit tally of relocating an elephant who has lived in the same place for better or worse for so many years and it seems like there's some 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 chatter or some mixed feelings about that amongst people who do care about elephants and and know know something about them
1: anyone who thinks that it'd be worse to have a uh, happy stay in her, her prison than go into sanctuary is either, is just com- even grossly ignorant or they're lying Yeah. for for whatever reason. It's simply not true. And, uh, and look at the fact that, you know, our experts, they're experts. These are, some of them have spent almost 60 years working with elephants. They say, no, he, he needs, she needs to be out of there. And also, um, George Poole, Dr. George Poole, who's yeah. amazing. For sure. Has, um, she says. She says the same thing, and so she she gave examples, and says so it's very common that when someone has been in a place kind of like Happy is, if you can move her to somebody's to to some place that cares about elephants and knows about elephants, that um, those elephants um, get better relatively quickly, and they become friends. They start living a kind of a life that they want to. We can actually uh, change Happy, change her life from being a seriously depressed. Kind of screwed up elephant because of how she's been abused for so many decades into something that begins to look like a normal elephant. Yeah, it's by moving her to sanctuary. And the question is, why would they not let us do that if they said, "Hey, we'll settle the case and move her to move her to sanctuary"? We'd say, "Fine, we'll dismiss our case because what we care about, as she's our client, we're her lawyers. We just want want a good thing to happen to her." But uh, they've never done it. Yeah, it, and. And it, and it wouldn't have cost them any money anyway. Uh, they're not going to have to pay money to send a uh, to, to to send Happy to, to a sanctuary. They're gonna they aren't going to have to pay money to take care of, of of Happy. They 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 want it for that reason. Yeah, Our well, are probably all involved, with not just um, the Bronx Zoo, but the uh, Aza and other organizations who are worried that if someone then does something good for other non-human animals, not Happy, then that's going to hurt them financially, for example.
0: Yeah, that brings me to a thing I was just about to raise, which is that the scenario that at least I understood, if, if Happy were to be released from the Bronx Sioux, she would probably relocate to a sanctuary, and presumably that, yeah. just for geographic, if not other reasons, that sanctuary would be the elephant sanctuary in Tennessee. But didn't the sanctuary that sanctuary walk back its statement of support for securing happy's release from the bronx zoo or do i do i have this slightly off no
1: that that indeed uh uh that's a very complicated thing um however uh what, let me answer this that um uh we have repeatedly said that uh, that happy would go to the um the elephant sanctuary yeah and uh Whatever they want to say in public is fine.
0: Okay. They don't care. Right. Because I guess that's something that gets into some weird minutiae, but I think they, I guess, have some sort of tie or recent tie to the AZA. So I guess they're almost compelled maybe to, to walk back that statement well, of support. You
1: don't say.
0: Well, okay. <laughs> All right. Well, that might be the, that might be exactly where we have to leave this conversation. So, uh Steve, thank you so much. We've been speaking with Stephen M. Wise from the Non-Human Rights Project. Again, there's all kinds of great information at nonhumanrights.org. That's their website. But can also secure the thing I mentioned once or twice over the course of our uh, time here together. The Atlantic, uh, Jill Lepore, who is I guess moonlighting from New Yorker, but a great historian and a great journalist, did a, a fantastic extended piece all about this and, and beyond, and that's easily uh, found online as well. So there's so many ways to find out more if you're interested in what we've talked about here with uh, with Mr. Wise. So thank you so much, Steve, for all your great work, and we'll uh, follow this uh, whenever this does this case does happen, and uh, maybe talk again uh, after that.
1: Well,
0: thank you very
1: much. I appreciate
0: it. Thank you. So is okay. happy. Okay, good. All right, thank you. Okay, bye. bye. In a moment, I'll play a new animal song from Jenny Lewis called Puppy in a Truck. We'll also hit a couple of animal news items and more right now, though we're going to step into the Comedy Corner with Kevin Nealon and a piece called Cows on the Roof in today's Comedy Corner
3: on Talking Animals on WMNF. Most animals are smart, although, you know, I remember during the... Uh tsunami in Sri Lanka. I read about this. The animals, they have like a sixth sense. They knew it was coming and they took off for the hills the day before it happened. They all survived. They didn't tell anybody else. They kept it a secret. Come on, just us. Come on. Keep it quiet. Move it along. Let's go. But I have a whole newfound respect for animals now. I give them a lot more credit. In fact, now when I see a dog chasing a car, I will chase that car too. Oh yeah. Animals are something. I rescued a couple of cats not long ago. Hey, Do your cats throw up all night long? Is that what they do? Is that the M.O.? I mean, all night long, all I heard was, whoa! And I wake up in the morning, and there is puke everywhere. It's like living in a fraternity house or something, you know, it's just crazy. And you know what? Not even puke, they're hair balls. And I know that because I sifted through it with a little stick. Couple of berries, but mostly hair. Mostly hair, yeah. And you gotta get it off the carpet quick, otherwise it stains. You've gotta make a decision. Either get them off or let them accumulate and become like a sticky shag carpet after a while. (laughs) Animals are smart, that's all I'm gonna say. I watch the Weather Channel, they always show the floods in the Midwest, right? And they show the cow up on the roof, you know, surrounded by water. I don't know how she gets up there. I guess she comes up the stairs, I guess. Do they have stairs in a barn? I don't know, I don't know. Comes up the stairs, crawls out the window, grapples up to the roof, just waits it out. They should show that. They should show that. Maybe they should have the cow network. I'd watch the cow network. But even here in California, you know, the animals warn you before uh, an earthquake, they'll start barking like crazy. The dogs, you know, the cats will hide under the cars. You just have to know the signals, what to look for. Okay, like if you live in the Midwest, right, and you're going down the stairs and there's a cow coming up the other way, you get the boots. You get the boots. It's common sense. Look at the guy in the back. Check him out. Check him out. What's he doing? But I'll tell you what's funny. No, seriously. Seriously. No, 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 no. No, seriously. No, the guy in the back. The guy in the back.
0: Well, there's the guy in the back, and there's the guy in the front. In that case, that was Kevin Nealon. With a piece called Cows on the Roof, taken from his album, Now Hear Me Out. Now it's time to hear the new Jenny Lewis animal song I've been promising. It's called Puppy in a Truck, and we're going to hear it right now on Talking Animals on WMNF.
2: Ford. I'm a Chevrolet angel. A shot I
0: That is is Jenny Lewis with a new song called Puppy and a Truck here on Up on Talking Animals. Coming up shortly, the music kicks back in more officially with Scott Elliott from noon to 3 p.m. A glorious three hours of music always by uh, Scott, followed by Robin Hooper. Oh, I think that actually someone may be sitting in for Robin today. I'm not quite sure. But either way, there's another three hours of music. And then we just keep uh, the music coming as we roll into our block of Latin programming for this evening and beyond. We've just about reached the end of today's edition of Talking Animals on WMNF Tampa. I hope you'll join me next Wednesday when my guests will be Dr. Danny McVitie, founder of Lap of Love Veterinary Hospice, and Ross Taylor, co-director of a new documentary, The Hardest Day, which chronicles Lap of Love veterinarians and some families saying goodbye to their... uh, to their beloved pets on that last day. So that's next Wednesday here on Talking Animals. You can always go to talkinganimals.net for uh, archives of all shows we've ever done and links to our social media pages and more. I'm um, Duncan Strauss. Thanks very much for listening. Have a good week. Be kind, animals. Be kind to others. Be kind to yourself. It's Talking Animals on WNF Tampa, Brandon Largo, Wiki, Wachee, and beyond. Scott Elliott's right up after the NPR News headlines. Thanks. <laughs>